0: Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. One hundred and fifty faith leaders tell the owners of
1: Warrior Met. Come up with a fair deal for your workers and do it now. Union Women's Equal Payday and the Union Made Super Bowl. Today on the show, we check in with the American Federation of Government Employees and LIUNA Local 11 in the states of Maryland and Virginia. Welcome to the Wednesday, February 15th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Tatishka Thomas. Tatishka serves as the president of AFGE Local 548. That would be in Bay Pines, Florida. She also serves as the District 5 National Rep for the AFGE National VA Council. Website is AFGEN vac.org and if you go to that website you will find their mission statement we take care of those who take care of our nation's veterans by obtaining power through organizing representation and political action you put those three together you will make a difference a couple things we're going to talk about raising pay AFGE is seeking a 8.7% raise for federal workers in 2024, and this is to help close the double-digit pay gap between federal and private sector employees. Let me point out that the latest report, this comes from the Federal Salary Council, shows that federal worker pay lags behind the private sector by over 20%. 3%. 3%. That makes it difficult for agencies to recruit, hire, and retain top talent. And it also hurts the quality of services that Americans receive. That statement comes from National President Everett Kelly who goes on to say the 8.7% pay increase, including in the FAIR Act, will not only reward federal employees' hard work and help them keep pace with inflation, but it also help Government agencies remain competitive and deliver high-quality services to the American public. So that's why we endorse the bill. And there's a reason they call it the FAIR Act. It stands for Federal Adjustment of Income Rates. We uh, we touched on this last week when we talked to Tony Reardon on behalf of the uh, National Treasury Employees Union. Same situation there. you got federal employees, and they're having a hard time to, to keep them. We'll also take a look at some of their uh, legislative goals for this year, and obviously the pay raise is one of them, more organizing. They're doing a pretty good job on organizing. In fact, in the month of January, 4,600 government workers joined AFGE. Now, that's really great, but you got to keep in mind, they lost a lot due to retirements, so the net gain was only 204. That's it. District 5? Had the most membership gain at 233. Social Security Fairness Act. This is an issue we could probably do a whole show on. This would repeal rules that penalize public servants who receive a government pension. Think about this. You are in the private sector for maybe 20, 25 years. Then you decide to work for the government for maybe 15, 20 more years. When it comes time to retire, they will dock your Social Security because you're getting a government pension. This started, I believe, in the late 80s. And once again, you got our elected leaders tinkering with the uh, government programs and that's exactly what happened and that that should come it's not right it's not fair you worked for that money (laughs) my god they took it out of your paycheck and then they're not giving it to you it doesn't make any sense here's another um comprehensive paid leave for federal employees act that would extend 12 weeks of paid family leave to federal employees i mean there's a lot of issues a lot of these are posted on the national website afge.org Steve Lanning will be joining us later in the show, and he is the business manager of Labors International Local 11. local 11com is their website. Steve is the business manager of that local, which covers the District of Columbia and the surrounding counties in Maryland and Virginia. Local 11 is a construction local representing laborers in the heavy and highway utility demolition general construction markets it has about 2,500 active members and prior to working at that local in a couple of different roles steve was an organizer for liuna and organizing he says is his passion and there's a lot of that going on right now a couple things we're going to talk about is sectoral organizing which uh, steve says is the key for local unions to grow and thrive. And that's an interesting concept. You might have heard of sectoral bargaining. That's when you bargain, not for just one company, but for several companies like it. For instance, if you're uh, trying to uh, organize a McDonald's, let me use that as an example, you would also be organizing a Wendy's and maybe a Burger King in in that specific community at the same time. So it's a sector that you're organizing. Uh, Talk about expanding the local prevailing rates to protect their members' wages and benefits. That's a hot potato of a topic. And also the challenges of organizing in the private building market, the cutthroat competition. And it's also always the race to the bottom. Who can we get to do this job cheaper? Then, when they sign a contract with that respective contractor, who is most likely non union, they find out down the road that the work was not done properly and they have to do it again. That has happened almost. It's going on right now. It's going on right now, let's be honest. So, Steve Lanning of uh, Lionel Local 11 will be joining us later in the show. Now, brief look into the world of labor. This is brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. A group of about 150 leaders of various faiths are calling on warrior Met Coal to settle its ongoing strike with the United Mine Workers of America, which is going on for over 22 months. Hard to believe. Signed by... About 150 people representing several religions. The letter demands the strike and immediately, quote, in an equitable and just manner. The company is causing the suffering of over 800 families who are not able to pay rent, eat properly, take care of their health, buy school items for their children, all resulting in workers enduring unnecessary hardships for the last time period we talked about. I mean, the the two year period is April 1. That strike started on April 1, 2021. About 1,100 miners with the United Mine Workers of America walked off the job that day seeking better pay and benefits, more time off, and improved scheduling. Now, about 800 are still believed to be taking part in that strike, which is believed to be the longest In Alabama history, according to the letter, three groups, the people of the Interreligious Network for Work Solidarity, the Alabama Poor People's Campaign, and the Southeast Conference United Church of Christ called on the board of directors of Warrior Met Coal to meet in hopes of ending the strike. Now, here's the crazy part of the story. Warrior Met is owned by a hedge fund. Their largest shareholder is BlackRock. BlackRock is urging the board to end the strike. But the board is not listening. Let me read part of the letter. It says the workers sacrificed greatly to stabilize the company. But now, in spite of huge profits, The company is destabilizing workers' lives by insisting on substandard wages, benefits, and working conditions. The company is causing the suffering of hundreds of families who are not able to pay rent, eat properly, and take care of their health and buy school items for their children, resulting in workers enduring unnecessary hardships. I'll tell you, thank God they got the uh, Mine Workers Union, and they are chugging along that is a tough breed a tough breed there talk about solidarity my gosh let's now go to the state of virginia where there's a contract fight between the amalgamated transit union this would be local 689 their members and the Loudoun county transit system now that strike is past the one month mark and the county's contractor keola is still refusing to bargain in good faith so as a result the local and its allies rallied in front of the uh, Loudoun County Government Center in Leesburg yesterday. Get this, Loudoun County has the highest medium household income in the country. Keolis has $6.7 billion in annual revenue. The wages that Keolis pays are forcing workers to quit or move out of the county. The county government has the ability to fine Keolis for its actions, but so far they're not doing anything. So according to the local, it's time for Keolas to pay up, and it's time for Loudoun County government to serve its working families and make Keolis do the right thing. It's about time. You know, Sunday wasn't just the Super Bowl. It was also Union Women's Equal Pay Day a reminder that empowering more women to form and join unions is an important tool in advancing pay equity for women. Labor Federation pointed this out yesterday, saying the wage gap between men and women is unfair and very persistent. To make what a man makes in a year, a woman has to work until March 14th of the following year. Okay. Now, for women in unions, that gap has closed. Union representation has shrunk the gap for women by nearly 43%. And women in unions, on average, make 22% more than women who are not in unions. So, when we empower more women to form and join unions, we advance pay equity, salary transparency. Benefits like paid leave, leadership growth, and so on and so on. Good point there. Really good point. Speaking of the Super Bowl, in addition to being the most watched televised event of the year, the Super Bowl represents the hard work of thousands of union brothers and sisters. This includes not only the union members everyone sees, like the players, the NFL Players Association, and the referees. Which are part of the NFL Referees Association, but also the announcers, musicians, food, transportation, hotel workers. I could go on. So the AFL CIO wants you to recognize the many unions that bring Super Bowl Sunday to millions of people every year. Just go to AFLCIO.org and you can see how many unions actually are involved in making the Super Bowl happen. You think about the the camera crews. Those are all union reps there, especially on a national level. And I mean, they got a whole lot of camera crews. But uh, hats off to all the unions that made it happen and the most-watched
0: televised event of the year.
1: All right, quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the American Federation of
0: Government Employees. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash-Ferrens.
2: America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd-Waterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com.
1: The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. The United Auto Workers are one of the largest and most diverse unions in North America, with members in virtually every sector of the
0: economy. Learn more about this proud sponsor of our program at UAW.org. From the Golden Gate Bridge to the St. Louis Gateway Arch, the Sears Tower, and just about every building, bridge, and structure in between, our cities and towns wouldn't be the same without ironworkers. With over 3,000 contractors employing more than 130,000 highly trained ironworkers and 20,000 apprentices, the Ironworkers Union stands ready and able to shape the future of our skylines. Learn more at ironworkers.org. Ironworkers, the sky's the limit. Now, back to America's workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferrans.
1: And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Real simple, AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to the nation's capital right now. Joining us on our live line is Tatishka Thomas. Tatishka is with the National VA Council. She also serves as president of AFGE Local 548 in Bay Pines, Florida. And the reason she's in Washington, this is the time for their annual legislative conference. So lots going on in D.C. today. Tatishka Thomas, welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today.
3: Uh, thank you for having me.
1: You know, before we talk about what's going on there, maybe you could uh, fill us in on uh, your local 548 Bay Pines, Florida. I understand that's uh, just outside St. Pete's. Uh, How big is the local? And uh, maybe give us some specifics on uh, on the power of that local in Bay Pines, Florida. You go ahead.
3: Uh, So, yes, Bay Pines is actually located uh, in St. Petersburg outside of Tampa, Uh, We service over 4,000 bargaining unit employees at our medical center. Uh, We also cover our vet centers, our veterans centers, um, as well as our two cemeteries at Bay Pines and one at Sarasota Cemetery. Uh, And we have a total of eight CBOCs uh, affiliated with our medical center at Bay Pines. Uh, We actually have about 1,500 members, roughly close to 1,500 members, that we actually serve, but our bargaining unit is close to about 5,000.
1: Oh boy. You got a lot on your plate. How long have you been involved with uh, AFGE altogether?
3: I actually have this August will be, um, I should say about November will be uh, 20 years. Uh, I started out at Bay Ponds back in August of 2003. And shortly after that, I actually got involved with the union and, um, I've been hooked ever
1: since. <laughs> good for you. How long have you served as president of that local?
3: I I got elected in as president back in 2007.
1: Okay. Good. 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 Things seem to be going pretty well for you down there. That that's not an easy state for unions. I'm not going to get into that right now. I want I want to be real positive. of what's going on (laughs) you're laughing i know i know i know uh i want to talk about this legislative conference that's going on in washington and i know there's there's a lot on your plate uh i guess one of the things you're you're talking about negotiations with the uh, department of veteran affairs i don't know if that's happening there but maybe if you can just kind of run down what the discussion has been so far go ahead
3: sure um so mostly our, our biggest acts for Congress um, is our 8.6% raise. Um, we've also been talking to them in regards to the VA Employee Fairness Act, uh, which gives full collective bargaining rights for our Title 38 employees, which is our providers, nurses, uh, people in that profession. So it's, it's quite a bit of things. We're also asking for our Law Enforcement Officers and quality Act, which actually improves the law enforcement officer's retirement benefit. Most of our officers would prefer to actually just go ahead and retire in their profession that they're in. But because of they don't have that, that benefit of being able to retire at that particular age that all the other um, officers are, are allowed to retire, they actually then move into another profession and everything else. So we end up, that That's one of the biggest things that really fighting for them in regards to their stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, from what I've been gathering here in, in so many different departments of the government, the pay is just not where it should be. And I'd like to zero in on that FAIR Act, which stands for the Federal Adjustment of Income Rates. And I know you're seeking an 8.7% raise for – and this is not this year. This is for 2024 – And to some, that might be, oh, my God, that's a lot of money. But what's missing out of that equation is the fact that you are so grossly underpaid uh, compared to the private sector. And and the the number I'm saying here is like 23 percent. I mean, it lags behind the private sector by 23 percent. Is that right?
3: Yes, sir. Twenty three percent. We're behind.
1: So. I mean, that, that 8.7% obviously is a step in the right direction. What kind of reaction are you getting? I know, I know you, you've been meeting with some lawmakers over there. What are they saying about this so far?
3: Well, so far, so good. Uh, we, we've been having some mixed feelings. We've had some positive feelings. Uh, I actually met with the aide with uh, in Senator um, Mark Rubio's office, and uh, her, his particular aide was actually pretty receptive in regards to the Fair Act uh, and making sure she actually talks, you know, to the sen- senator about what we're asking for when it comes down to the fair for him to actually go ahead and co-sponsor, sign off, and actually agree to the Fair Act.
1: Well, that's good. You got one senator's attention there, and that that's a good one to get, too. Uh, what's, uh, what's the game plan for this year? I mean, this is for next year. I mean, what, after the legislative conference, is over which is like the end of today tomorrow what's the process after that
3: so uh, after that we actually then actually make sure we're holding our in-district meetings with our member of the congress so we actually meet with them in our home state in our actual home cities uh we actually try to get them to co-sponsor the bill and actually push it forward so we actually do have the fair act in 2024.
1: Now, what are people saying? I'm sure there's a few there that, that are vocal on this saying, oh, well, the government workers should not get that kind of pay raise. Are you hearing from from them uh, so far mm-hmm. in, in D.C.?
3: We do hear from them uh, that actually say that, you know, hey, you know, we, we, can't really, we can't really do that and everything else, but we know it can be done. It's possible we do need to actually close that pay gap. Uh, 23% behind the private sector, that's a big gap. 87 8. is not
1: that much to ask for. Yeah. Well, there's probably some saying, well, if that's what they're paying in the private sector, why don't you go to the private sector? And I'm sure, Tatishka, you've seen people leave because of the lack of pay. Maybe you could speak to what's been happening in your local down in Florida. Uh, can, you, can you reference that?
3: Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I can. So <laughs> okay, go a- ahead. <laughs> we've had a lot of employees that will actually say, I'll just go over across the bridge over to Tampa, or I'll just go down to the sister hospital or the community hospital across the street because they're going to pay me more money. Uh, Our nurses are leaving. Our providers are leaving. Uh, Even our housekeeping workers, uh, before they even got to the, 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 the bare minimum of over $15, they were actually leaving like there was no tomorrow. We have to give federal employees a rate. We have to make it. We have to make federal agencies an employer of choice.
1: All right. Again, it's the uh, federal adjustment of income rates, better known as the Fair Act. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of information on this on the national website, which is afge.org. Tatishka Thomas joining us in our live line today. She represents the National VA Council. Afge. NVAC.org is uh, that website. We'll uh, continue the conversation after this, talk about some more priorities for this year at that legislative conference. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Steve Lanning. Steve is a business manager at Lyuna Local 11, which is also. In the D.C. area, they represent the D.C. and the surrounding counties of Maryland and Virginia. We'll be back in a few minutes.
0: This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com.
2: It takes Laiuna to power North America with affordable energy.
0: Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit SurveyandBallotSystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections.
1: The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. The AFL-CIO
0: is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to aflcio.org. Now... Back to Ed Flash Farris with America's Workforce.
1: And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this uh, next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. In fact, we'll be checking in with them tomorrow on the show. Right now, let's go back to the nation's capital. Joining us on our live line is Tatishka Thomas. She's with the National VA Council, AFGENVAC.org. Also serves as president of AFGE Local 548 in Bay Pines, Florida. And she's in Washington today, along with uh, a lot of other labor leaders at AFGE, dealing with their annual legislative conference. Tatishka, I have to ask you this. Uh, We've done a lot of shows with uh, the American Federation of Government Employees. We have a big VA hospital where we uh, record the show in northeastern Ohio, the Lou Stokes VA Center, getting a lot of information over the years about the fact that uh, there is a huge need for personnel, primarily medical professionals, doctors at VA hospitals around the country. Around the country, and I'm hearing a number of about fifty thousand. I'm just wondering is is that number still accurate? Number one, and the other part of this question is I understand it's a very cumbersome process when it comes to hiring people for VA hospitals. I I know you just can't hire anybody like that. You got to screen them, you got to vet them, and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's very lengthy. And as a result, uh, things aren't getting done. Is that being discussed at your conference right now?
3: Yes, it is. And um, what's really being discussed are the onboarding surges is what they're actually calling, the VA is actually calling them. Um, So the number that you gave about 50,000, that is correct, but it has also increased a little as well. Um, The onboarding onboarding surge event is pretty much where they're trying to actually decrease the amount of paperwork and the process it takes to actually get somebody on board, boots on the ground, out of facility. But they're discovering even more that the problem in the process is even more cumbersome than what they probably originally thought that it was. Usually when HR was actually in-house, on at the facilities now they're completely virtual they're consolidated they don't belong to underneath the med- medical center directors it's taken between six months to eight months to actually get somebody hired at the VA Wow, which is actually caught co- you know which de- delays patient care
1: yeah yeah and probably during that time period you got people leaving because the pay is not where it should be so, uh, yeah, and that's that's across the board. That That's really sad. And again, we're talking about taking care of the people that fought for our country. I mean, come on. These are our vets here. We got to do a better job on that. Well, it's good that they're discussed. Do you see some movement on this? I mean, are, are, are you getting people's attention to cut through that paperwork right now?
3: Yes, we are. Uh, I think majority of our members of Congress are actually seeing um, that this is a big problem. This is an issue. Uh, to the point where you know the secretary, you know, made this one of his priorities and when it comes down to onboarding, on cutting some of the red tape on getting more people in at a faster pace., uh, so they're having these events, these onboarding surge events to actually see exactly where what causes the actual bottleneck and how can they actually slow that down or actually kind of eliminate some of those processes., uh, but I think what they're forgetting is, You still need that human factor into the process. Everything can't be automated.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Automation
3: is great, but you still need that human factor. You still have to actually help people and actually talk to people to get them what they actually need or what they need to bring into you to make the process go faster.
1: Oh, I hear you on that one. Robotics are big. Automation is huge. I mean, we have a lot of technology on there, and uh, I I know a lot of companies would just like to replace workers altogether. And if they if they could, they would go in that direction. So, yeah, that's another discussion. But it's it's good to know that there's some movement on that. There's a couple of issues I know you're, you're talking about in Washington. One of them is the Comprehensive Paid Leave for Federal Employees Act. This is a huge issue, and you're probably familiar with what happened last year with the rail workers. I mean, they really got screwed. They really got screwed. I mean, trying to take the time off, and then if they do take time off, then they get docked. So this is a national issue, and we're the only major industrialized country that does not have a system in place. For, for paid leave. I mean, there's other countries that are much poorer than the United States that have policies like that. But apparently in this country, they feel, well, the private sector can handle all that, and they're really not. So talk to me about this Comprehensive Paid Leave for Federal Employees Act, what it is, where it's going right now.
3: Okay. Uh, so it, it has a couple of different parts to it. Um, one is ex- actually extending the 12 weeks of paid family leave to federal employees. Uh, one of Another big part of it would be bringing the VA community care access standards into line what it actually happens actually at the VA medical centers, uh, which is a big push. that keep trying to push community care, but we need to make sure that they actually follow the same exact standards or they have the same standards as in the medical center. Uh, it also is to ensure the sufficient funds and hiring within the VA to meet the goals of the PAC Act. Uh, which the law that expands the health care benefits to three point five million veterans. What's also included in there is restoring the decade, um, the decade old cut to the federal employee retirement system, and retain the you know the excellence of federal service.
1: Okay, good. Yeah, the Pact Act. Now, um, that's the legislation that would help the vets, especially that suffered problems with the burn pits. And that, that was a big issue, of course, last year. And again, we're talking three and a half million veterans there. So uh, yeah. the Comprehensive Paid Leave for Federal Employees Act, that's one of the issues. I understand another one is the uh, Social Security Fairness Act, which is ridiculous, in my opinion, Uh this would repeal rules that penalize public servants who receive a government pension. There's a lot of people in that category. Uh, Any movement on that? Maybe you can give us uh, some details.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and that's correct. It is to repeal the rules that penalize public servants. And when we actually did meet for, for our situation for Florida, the state of Florida. When we actually did meet with the aide of Mr. The Senator Rubio's office, uh, she did get a lot of information in regards to the Social Security Fairness Act. Uh, she was very receptive uh, in actually making sure she was going to bring that information back to the senator uh, for him to look at, for him to actually even possibly even co-sponsor.
1: And again, if you're getting a government pension, they figure, well, if you worked in the private sector and you're getting Social Security, we're going to take some of that Social Security money away from you because you shouldn't get that much money, although you did pay into it. That is bizarre. (laughs) Totally bizarre. Totally bizarre. Uh, D.C. Statehood Act, which would make Washington, D.C., the 51st state. Now, this has been batted around for a while. What's what's going on here?
3: Ah, uh, yes, it just needs to happen. It's just plain and simple there there that should be that's unheard of of you know you actually have people that actually pay into taxes and and have no representation at the nation's st- state capital. It's just they need to actually have statehood statehood here in d c
1: okay, and what do you think that's gonna happen this year or no?
3: we're pushing we're hoping um, we're we're really pushing the the actual efforts and everything else it's going to be an uphill battle like it's always has been uh, but we're going to keep pushing for it to actually take place
1: well as i indicated lots going on in washington is that about it is there anything else you want to call attention to and again this should be wrapping up later today am i correct in, in saying that
3: uh yes yes around today we should be ending a majority of our uh meetings with the members of Congress uh, and everything else here in Washington, D.C.
1: Well, Tatishka, one more question here. You've been you've been doing this for quite some time. You've been involved with AFGE for over 20 years. You've been to these legislative conferences before. How How is this one rated? I mean, compared to, to years past, uh, you feel pretty good about this one?
3: For the most part, yes. Yes, we're, it's very optimistic. Uh, we're going to keep raising our voices. Uh, we're going to keep, you know, fighting that good fight.
1: There you go. That's what you got to do. AFGE.org, that's a national website. And for the, uh, the VA Council, it's AFGENVAC.org. Tatishka Thomas also serves as president of Local 548 in Bay Pines, Florida. All right, you take care. I'll let you get back to your conference, and uh, we'll talk down the road, okay? Keep up the fight, all right? All right, thank you. You got it. Steve Lanning is with Lyuna Local 11. Outside DC, Maryland, and Virginia, and he'll be coming up next on the show.
0: This is America's Workforce.
2: It takes LIUNA to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers' International Union of North America. Delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L I U N A.org.
0: There is unity and strength for workers.
2: We are the USW. We are
0: the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America.
3: We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean.
0: We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper,
3: oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector.
0: We are steelworkers standing strong and fighting for what's right.
1: O-R-G. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored
0: in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to America's Workforce Here's Ed Flash Ferencz. And
1: remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. And remember this, if you like a show, please share that show. We count all the downloads. Our sponsors like to know how many downloads there are of America's workforce, so we want to grow the show in 2023. So just go to AWFpodcast.com. If you miss something, do check it out. And speaking of uh, sponsors, laborers... International President Terry O'Sullivan is the uh, presenting sponsor of America's Workforce. And it was uh, last Tuesday that President Biden had his State of the Union message. And Terry posted this. The Biden administration is delivering for working men and women through historic investments that are creating good family-supporting jobs, measures reducing inflation, record-setting job growth and wage growth, the strong, proud, and united men and women of the laborers could not be more grateful to the president for his commitment to labor rights, good jobs, and protecting our hard-won wages and benefits. o r g is a national website. And again, we uh, certainly are happy that we have such a presenting sponsor. And speaking of Lyuna, let's go to the D.C. area right now. Joining us on line number two is the business manager of Lyuna Local 11. lyunalocal 11com is their website. And the business manager for a year now is Steve Lanning, who's uh, been with Lyuna for a couple of decades. In fact, he even worked in southern Ohio for a little bit. Steve Lanning, welcome to America's Workforce. How are we doing today, brother?
4: Doing great. Great. Thanks for having me.
1: So, so talk to me a little about your background. You were telling me off the air here that you were in Chillicothe, Ohio, for some time, right?
4: Uh, born and raised there. Yes, and it was a it was a great union town. It was uh, uh, my little league coach was president of the big union uh, factory in town that thankfully still exists. Um, you know that was just kind of the nature of the town, I you know something I remember shortly after. I started getting into the labor movement actively. I remember my own hometown had a joint rally, both the teachers. My mother was a teacher. She was a member of the NEA or Ohio Education Association. And one of the big unionized factories there were both doing a joint strike action in downtown Chillicothe, which is a small town. And to me, that was always represented the beauty of it, that a lot of the spouses who were teachers, their spouse work at the factory and together they're in solidarity and support each other, even though some are teachers, some are working at a paper mill. Um, you know, that was kind of my experience growing up. So I took that with me into a career in the labor movement and couldn't be happier.
1: So so how did you get connected with uh, Labor's International? It started in Chillicothe then or what?
4: Um I guess you could say that. Uh they were recruiting organizers and I was able and fortunate enough to enough persistence, and (laughs) maybe I annoyed him a little too much. They just gave me a position as an organizer. They said, okay, if you want to do it tomorrow morning, you need to be in uh, DeCoin, Illinois (laughs) and start, we have a campaign there and you need to get involved in it. So that's kind of how they used to do things back then.
1: I see, Um, I see.
4: You're on the road. Three weeks, 21 days straight, and then you get a couple days off. It was kind of a baptism by fire, so you had to resolve and really the fire in the belly to want to do those kind of things.
1: Well, I bet we could do a whole lot on the the times, the trials and tribulations of what you did as an organizer. I'm just wondering if there's got to be a couple of campaigns that come to mind that probably were very frustrating for you, but in the end... It all worked out. Anything that you can uh, you can reference here on the show? You
4: know, honestly, most yeah, I will say this: if you go with the LRB election model, most of those are frustrating, pounding your head up against the wall uh, type campaigns. Because the way that model works is you file with clear majority support, preferably you know two thirds support, meaning of the workers eligible to vote, two thirds of them said, yes, I want to form a union. And at that point until the day of the election, you're basically trying to hold on to that majority and the company's doing everything in their power uh, to scare the hell out of uh, those workers from even thinking about voting yes and exercising their rights that that is always a frustrating process, but when you're successful at the end of it, it is very rewarding to see that workers stood up the majority of them stood up and you know held off on the company lies and in intimidation
1: mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of organizing going on right now. And, uh, you know, we've got a worker-friendly National Labor Relations Board. In fact, the general counsel comes from the CWA, Jennifer Abruzzo. And we're seeing a lot happening, especially when the Starbucks and the Amazons and places like that, Trader Joe's. Uh, Let's zero in on on your your specialty. Obviously, that's the, the private building market here. And I know that's very, very cutthroat. Um, and it's my understanding too that you could probably use some help with local governments to because governments especially when it comes to construction and you know this Steve I mean you got these contractors that that misclassify workers and as a result the state governments get screwed uh, on on tax revenue yes. can you yeah, I'm sure you got plenty of stories here can you uh, can you talk about that and and, and hopefully maybe Are we making a dent into some of these governments realizing that they better wake up and do something about it? It depends on the market.
4: Uh, I want to say I'll speak to the D.C. metro area where, you know, what you have here is in many ways a sympathetic. You have local governments that are sympathetic to labor, to unions, if not outright supportive. However, in many ways they feel that their hands are tied with regard to uh, what they can do on behalf of organized labor, um, over the years, since we've been pushing different bills and different matters, I've heard the, t- the, the, the tone, the comments change. I was on a, I was on a council hearing in the District of D.C. a couple months ago, and some rapidly leading contractors are in protest of uh, the bill, and yet the council member helped firm saying, look, wage theft is a real problem. So you're not going to convince me that we don't need this because I'm hearing too many reports of too, many wage stuff, too much wage stuff, misclassification happening. It silenced them. My point being, 10 years ago, that, uh, that D.C. council member or any D.C. council member really wouldn't have pushed on an issue. That took organized labor stressing over and over again how much, how rampant it is. And more importantly, let me just say this. It, that model pervades a market. So construction, those construction markets are very localized. When you have a company that comes in and can undercut others by misclassification, misclassifying the workforce, they can undercut other non-union contractors and union contractors, obviously, at that point. And, you know, non-union companies is gonna say, either I have to cheat like this person, I'm going out of business. The union contractors are already up against it because they have a contract with their workforce. Uh, So unless local governments get involved, start putting parameters particularly on private development deals uh, and really strengthen those laws. This just becomes pervasive and it will take over. That's just the nature of the way competition works. If I can undercut you and I do it unlawfully and no one's enforcing it, I'm going to continue to do it and I'm going to run you out of business. Or you're going to mirror my model, which is an unlawful one, and then we just lower the standards in the market.
1: So in your territory, you spoke to D.C. It seems to be moving in the right direction there. But you have uh, you got Maryland and Virginia there. Um, Are those governments, are they uh, receptive to what you're what you're talking about here?
4: So you have different county governments in Maryland and you have uh, state government. We have the new state government, new governor in uh, Maryland, Westmore. Uh, I think, you know, to some degree, there's going to be receptivity. A lot of education is going to have to take place there. We've been pushing this at the county level. And in Maryland, and as well as in Northern Virginia, believe it or not, which has really taken a turn over the past few years uh, on its recognition of what they can do for organized labor. And for us, as in construction, it's key, if they really are serious about helping working families, if they're really serious about giving workers a raise, about addressing income inequality, unaffordable housing, what do we do for these construction workers who provide essential services and utility work, road work, things like that. Part of that is expanding the prevailing rate. And we are getting receptivity uh, from local governments on that. I think they sense that we, they, have the ability, they have the ability to do that. And they almost, we've impressed upon them the obligation they have to do that, that these wages have stagnated. And if you want someone to work effectively on utility work, other critical infrastructure in your area, You better make sure they're making good wages and you're not rewarding bad actors, bad contractors to do that work.
1: You know, it's funny you bring up a prevailing wage. In fact, uh, we're going to do a show on that in the next couple of weeks. There's a study done by the uh, Illinois Economic Policy Institute where they studied the states that repeal prevailing wage and the lawmakers. And you know this, you know this story, Steve the lawmakers yep. in those respective states said oh we got to get rid of the prevailing wage because it's going to help taxpayers <laughs> and yep. you know yep. you know it does that's not the case i mean they, they lowered the wages uh what happened is a lot of the uh, people that had lower wages had to go on public assistance so it actually cost taxpayers more money more money and right. plus Safety. Safety rates. I mean, fatalities went up in those. I still can't for the life of me figure that argument out why lawmakers are still doing that. But do you think that message is changing? I'm just wondering, especially with studies that keep coming out like that.
4: It's, it depends on the market. I can't speak to other parts of the country. I know in, the, in D.C. it took us years to impress upon them. Uh, that argument, I think it's starting to resonate when you can show time and time again, like you said, these are non union construction workers. Working in a critical industry within the metro area, DC metro area, I should say, and yet they are on public assistance. They are eligible for public assistance. This market has failed uh, in that the wage has been driven down to a point where no one with appropriate skills wants to do that. They're going to go somewhere else. So, what? How is this local government serving its constituents by having a workforce that no one in an industry that no one wants to work in because the wages are so low and the work so dangerous? Uh, you know that's pressing upon them story after story after story trying to compel them uh, that they need to step in and correct this we have started to make some progress there we're a long way to go long way to go but I think we can show that we can make this a more just equitable city uh, by having the local government get involved in this area holding bad actors accountable where they have the ability to expand the prevailing rate to let union contractors bid a level playing field forcing more obligations, regulations on bad actors and run them out, you know, then we can get there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Governments have a lot of power. They just got to use it, and they got to use it the right, right way. Right. Yeah. Okay, we got a couple of minutes left. I, I know you want to talk about sectoral organizing, I, and I've heard of sectoral bargaining, uh, sectoral okay. organizing. I, I like that. Can you explain what's what's going on?
4: Well, you know, the key to any organizing, union organizing, the key to any organizing is take wages out of competition, Full stop. That should be the motive. That is why you organize, not the hot shop where there's some bad actor, bad managers making workers angry. It's ultimately how do we organize this industry? Whether it's, you know, electrician, electrical contractors doing building work, you know, it's it's concrete contractors doing the, the concrete building work, road contractors, utility contractors, they're all in competition within their particular part of construction. If you can organize, unionize each of those contractors in that particular area, then you can set wages, right? If one company's right. paying the worker 15 bucks an hour, let's say, and another one's paying at 18 but they get less work because their labor costs are higher, well, what if you organize them all, set one wage, and then when you bring wages up, no one contractor's put at a disadvantage. Now they're operating, they're winning work based on their competence, not on how cheap they can get their workforce. We need to figure out a way to get a message out to workers about the power they have, why it's critical for them not to be fighting each other over jobs, but fighting contractors to one uniform wage package. That's ultimately what we want to do here. I think the new general counsel at the Labor Board is looking at this with some old uh, decisions, the Joy Silk decision, not to get too much into the legal process. uh, But that would be a big step forward for us to do sectoral organizing and that's really what's going to increase our union market share. Um, that's really what's going to give workers in this country a boost in power is focusing on a core industry, organizing it, setting that wage floor, and then negotiate wages up from there. Instead of having a bunch of workers uh, competing against each other all over the place. Yeah. Uh, just on a you know, side note for what it's worth, I just recently reread The Grapes of Pratt, John Steinbeck, the great novel. And with all this book banning going on in schools, I'm surprised they haven't tried to ban that one. That hits on that topic over and over again, how workers are constantly pitted against each other, forced to work for less if they wanted the job. And the only way they're going to stop that is organize and say, we're not going to work for anything less than this as a group. That's what sectoral organizing is.
1: Yeah. Boy, that is a good read. Those of you listening, you better pick it up now before it does get banned. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Oh, Steve, great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Steve Lanning, business manager, Lyuna Local 11. lyunalocal 11com is their website. They represent about uh, 2,500 active members in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. You uh, you stay in touch with us. Stay, uh, stay safe and stay strong. Okay, brother? All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. That's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we're going to check in with the Association of Professional Flight Attendants and The latest from the North Coast Labor Federation. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day.
0: That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find
2: out more information online at labortools.com.